Merry Christmas. Hey, uh, if, if, you, if you haven't and you can and, and you miss just, you're, maybe you're preoccupied, uh, you need to get some tickets if you're going to go to Christmas services. Uh, we will, uh, just trying to think of what the fire marshal will think. We're, we'll make sure that the seats are appropriate to the expectations of law, uh, but we will make sure to maximize every room that we can. But make sure you get your tickets. Uh, they are free for those of you who are t- like, you're like, this is messing with you, but they're free. We just want to save a seat for you. That's all we're trying to do is save a seat for you. And uh, so you need to get a ticket. Your kids don't have to get tickets if they go to the kids' ministry because uh, they're going to go to the kids' ministry and have a great time. My kids are excited. They don't want to hear me preach at all. <laughs> hey, we've been, uh, we've been as a church focusing on Advent, obviously. Uh, if you're new to church, that's a normal thing for a church to do. Uh, Advent is simply about the coming of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. Uh, over the course of history, uh, the church has taken different approaches on this, where at times the church has taken two weeks solid every single day going to church, dwelling on Jesus, then, then spread it out a little bit to where it became more of uh, a, you do stuff privately in your homes, but then as a church you gather and for four weeks we talk about stuff. We've been talking about a lot of stuff. Let me show you where we're going to go today and and I'm going to explain why this is a big deal. Joy. You got some? Okay. I love it when a sermon's relevant, you know? When it's like, you're like, I want some joy. I want it. Yes. Name it and claim it kind of stuff. No, okay. I know joy's a big deal. And, and you want it. It's something that you, ideally, you want it for real. You don't want to fake it, right? And I, I get that. I can tell you some nerdy information about your brain. Neuroscientists have done studies, not specifically on you, but on people like you and I, and they say that a a negative moment or even a negative thought takes three seconds to make an imprint on your brain. Three seconds. A positive one takes 14 seconds. So just by studying your or someone's brain, uh, we have learned a uh, very simple thing, it's easier to be sad than glad. I, I, by the way, I'm not suggesting that you have to stay at sad. Don't read that as, well, pastor said, I guess we're all just sad. It's the way life is. Worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> no, no, all I'm pointing out is what science actually tells that you already know it's true. It's physically easier to be a sad, some might even say mad, angry. It's just easier to go there. It's why most of the time when you go and have a conversation with someone and you're not quite sure what to do, someone comes up with something to complain about. And you're like, oh, this is good. Let's talk about that. Right? I'm just telling you, like, this is, it's, it's easier to be sad. So what's that have to do with the Christmas story? Well, there's a major interruption in the Christmas story where all of a sudden the Christmas story brings up something that has everything to do with this. And yeah, we'll differentiate between joy and happiness, but I want to show it to you. You've heard this before. Uh, the night there, uh, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. That's what they do for a living. I love how it describes things just in case you miss it. Suddenly, like without notice, an angel of the Lord appeared among them in the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Just imagine that moment. 
They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now let me clear something up very quickly. It's not really a part of the sermon, but it says there to all people. So if you've ever felt like church is not for you, Jesus is not for you, you got it wrong. According to scripture itself, is the arrival of Jesus and the good news is for how many people? Good job. Love it. I think it's a point that you and I need to just pay attention to. This isn't exclusive to the United States of America. This isn't exclusive to Israel. This is not exclusive to anyone. It's for all people. So uh, let me go through some of the words here because they mentioned the good news. Uh, let's look at some definition stuff here. Good news, you're like, well, I, I know what good news is. Well, there is layers to this. If you get into the original language, you'll learn that another way to say good news is to say gospel. You probably have heard that word if you've been in church for very long. You've heard, oh, he's gonna preach the gospel, or he's gonna talk about the gospel, or, or the gospel is a big deal. What it means is good news. In Christmas terms, if you did not know this, good tidings is grammatically the way to, in Christmas terms, say the gospel. So you're like, I bring you glad tidings, and you're like, neat, right? But no, it's deeper than that. It's I bring you good news. Now, let me give you some history, because this is a big deal. Because a lot of times we exclusively think the gospel, the word, is all about Jesus. What I'm going to stretch our minds here a little bit, that actually it's not originally even a, a Jesus word or a Christian word. Uh, if, if, a, if a new king had been born or even just arrived on the scene, the herald would be sent out across the entire empire and would be told, here's your job, herald. Go spread the good news. Go share the gospel. And it was about the arrival of a physical, actual king. If you'd won a war, all of a sudden, well, everyone needs to know that the war's been won. They need to know that someone surrendered to someone, and so this is good news. So they, the, again, throughout the whole empire, throughout the whole nation, it would be told of the people delivering the news. Go tell everybody, we're no longer at war. That's good news. So all of that to say, as Christians, we talk all the time, like, do you know the good news? Let's share the good news. Let's share the gospel. Well, the way the angel says this tells you and I something that I want to point out. The joy that's being delivered is a result of the gospel. When, when the angels say, got some news for you, like really, really, really good news, it's connected to the joy in the gospel. You need to see the connection, gospel, joy, joy, gospel. They are interconnected. In fact, the angels don't just say, I've got good news. The angels say they've got very good news. To nerd you out even more, for those of you who enjoy the nerd stuff, if not, just don't worry, I'll skip the nerd stuff later on. But uh, the word is mega. The word originally was not just like, I got, some, I got something you're gonna like. Let me help. Um, let's say that you were trying to get pregnant for years and it wasn't happening. And then all of a sudden, you find that you have successfully gotten pregnant, you have defied maybe even what doctors have told you, and all of a sudden, you're pregnant and you're gonna have a child. That's a different level of joy and good news. You understand that? 
Let's say that you were told by a doctor that you had an incurable disease. There's actually no resolution to it. You are going to die from that. Then all of a sudden you're told news later, actually we are wrong, or oh, all of a sudden we have a, a drug to fix that. You're gonna be cured. That's a different kind of joy. That's not just, oh, we're having my favorite food for dinner, right? Yeah. If you have longed to fall in love, and then not only that, you fell in love, but you learned that it was reciprocated. That's a different kind of love, different kind of joy. That's what the angels are saying. The angels are not just saying, so I've got something, just gonna interrupt for a second, just got something good to let, no. It's like, we have life-changing, life-altering good news that is going to deliver joy to you and I. Meanwhile, Christians in modern day society, specifically in our nation, are like, I don't feel it. I'm gonna say it. A lot of Christians nowadays know the word joy, but they don't actually know that they are feeling it, right? actually they have not felt it in a long time. Let's stop that, okay? If you're interested. To do so, I gotta tell you about the gospel. So what is the gospel? You probably have uh, your opinions about this, and that's good. I welcome opinions all the time, just not while I'm preaching. Uh, <laughs> we all have opinions on, on what it is and, and where it comes from, and, and you might say, well, okay, the gospel is simply uh, Jesus shows up, and that's a big deal. Or maybe you might say the gospel is Jesus dying on the cross, or maybe you might say Jesus is dying on the cross and, as, and resurrecting, or maybe you might say Jesus is saving you from your sins. What I want you to learn, if you've never learned this before, is what the gospel would have been to the original hearers who were waiting, and they heard it for the first time from the angels going, I have amazing, megaly, good, awesome news that's gonna bring you joy. At that time, Jewish culture saw life with two ages in it. Uh, this age, they lived in this age. Uh, the rule of Satan, uh, sin and death. It sounds horrible, but if you read your Bible, you learn, in fact, if you just look around at life, you're like, nah, yeah, I see it. The presence of evil and darkness and brokenness all over the place. Uh, pain and suffering, brokenness, waiting on Christ to usher in the new age. I say Christ, not waiting on Jesus. There's a difference. They lived as though the world was separated. That, that, that you, you, you treated life, you, you raised your family, you did your business, you actually did everything based on these two ages. What you were living in and what you were living in is where Satan was rampant and running around doing all the horrible stuff. Living in brokenness, pain, suffering, diagnosis, all the junk stuff that you and I have, like relationships falling apart, a sense of hopelessness, living in that. And all they had in this age was one day, one day God is gonna fix this. And so Jews lived with the, so there's this age, but there is uh, age to come. Of course, this is what had been promised to them over and over and over again. It was a, a prophecy. The rule of God, no longer of Satan on earth. The rule of God, no more sorrow, come on, and paradise. Where barbecue ribs hang on trees, I'm convinced of it. <laughs> right? But, 
go go back yeah with no calories with no, yeah if you if you go if you if you go back to uh if you go back to Genesis and you learn about Adam and Eve and you see this paradise if you if you're like me I I constantly wonder what was that like before it all broke down well, according to scripture, we are invited back to that kind of a paradise, a perfect environment that God's like over and over, not just one time, over and over going, there is a place, there is a place, there is a place. And so if you don't know how, how Jews were thinking was they lived in this tyrannical era, age of the rule of Satan, but one day the Messiah would show up, one day. And they saw it as a kind of a, a very hard line, that it would be momentous, big, grand. But you know the Christmas story. A baby shows up. The rule of God and the baby, and that's why many Jews still to this day have yet to believe. So we live in what's called the time between. You feel that? Like you're waiting on something? We live in what many theologians and scholars have locked on as, so, so there's this age, which we all would agree is very broken and messed up, <clears throat> and there's this, this hope, this age to come where God will intervene and do something very significant, but we live in the time between. The arrival of Jesus wasn't this, all of a sudden the government is thrown out, and all of a sudden God and all of his power takes over everything, like the promises say. It was more of a beginning, which puts you and I for lack of better words, kind of like with our feet in two different ages. I'm getting at, just so you know, why you and I struggle with joy. You know why? Because many of us refuse to put too much stock in the promises and what Jesus has done. We just see so much of what's going on around us. You got problems, right? I do too. Do they not consume you at least for days or moments where all of a sudden you've got a day where all you can think about is what you don't have or who you don't have or what's breaking or what you're facing or what you're trying to overcome and then all of a sudden you no longer feel joy, you just feel whether it's oppression or anxiety or worry or concern or weight or burden or whatever you feel and I'm telling you those are the moments that you and I have actually stepped back into this current age and not dwelling on the age to come. Let me show you what, over time, theologians have said. Advent contains within itself the crucial balance of the now and not yet that our faith requires. I'll say it for us. That stinks. It's annoying to be promised something and wait. It's called Christmas, by the way. You remember those feelings as a kid at least? Uh, this scholar goes on, the disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of the future glory that is yet to come. This is why many Christians right now do not live with joy in their very souls because many of us are not good at waiting. We don't know how to wait because I think we're confused about it. Uh, one of the authors I've been reading lately, uh, John Mark Comer, 
I think says it best, because we live in this age, we feel sorrow, but because we also live with the foot in the age to come, we feel joy. It's weird. Not sorrow or joy, but sorrow and joy. This, I think, gets at what you and I are struggling with. We think it's an either or situation where the day is good or joy is present if, and fill in whatever you want to for that if. Yet Jesus has called us to something, Christmas brings up something far deeper and richer than that, that you can actually walk this life with both joy and sorrow at the same time. Other theologians have talked about Jesus on the cross, how Jesus could suffer on the cross, could weep in the garden, could show demonstrations of physical angst and pain, and yet go through with it. Do you see this idea that there is something coming that's gonna change it all? So this is really, why I, I, I don't know what you intended, during the Christmas season, but I really need to get into your business. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, I grew up in church where I, I heard frequently about uh, whether or not a church was deep or not. Uh, whether, it, and usually it was a, it's, uh, typically a critique of the preaching, uh, uh, was, was that a deep sermon or is that a deep church or are you a deep Christian? Or on the, on the opposite, are you a shallow preacher, shallow church, shallow Christian? And that term, maybe you grew up though, uh, that maybe you learned that it was more of like, are you on foundation? Or there's scripture that talks about, are you on the sand? Are you building a house on the sand? Or are you building it on like a rock? Like there's this strong foundation and there's a weak foundation. I like anchors. I, could nerd out, wait, not even in the sermon, sorry. We have, I like anchors, but I, like, you could look at it that way. Like, like, how do you and I not drift back and forth because that's what's going on? You got joy, you got sorrow. And if you have a visual of you and I, we go back and we go back and we go back and we, we drift. That's how life works. Unless you stop it. Unless you anchor down. And how in the world do you anchor down? And this is why I said I'm gonna get into your business because if you have any interest in joy, I'm gonna show you where joy is at. It's gonna be up to you whether or not you go for it. Okay, here we go. So, this is a model, a schematic, a, a depiction of spiritual depth, of spiritual anchoring down, of, of a Christian standing on a strong foundation. If you study scripture over and over and over again, you're gonna see a theme specifically in the gospels when Jesus would speak and Jesus would say, if you want to follow me then, and I can summarize all the gospels with these, these three words, then you gotta do something about your head, right? You gotta know something. I mean, it's not like this just like, I don't know, I don't know anything. I'm just following that guy. Like, no, no. You, there's information to be known, to be locked into your brain. Especially nowadays, we, we know very specifically about how influential our brains are and how impactful what we do and what we say and what we learn actually is. But it's not just information. Hopefully you know that. You've gotta be. You are a human 
being. <laughs> you need to be with others, be with God. You need to let what you know actually transfer into what's called your heart, where all of a sudden the information in your head makes its way. Some of us are a little slower on it, but it eventually gets there to our hearts. But you also know that that's, it's still incomplete, is it not? Where it's head and heart and it seems so personal and so almost private. You've got to do something with your faith where head to heart to hands. I'm just teaching you basic foundational following Jesus. What I want you to see is if you want joy, it's at the bottom. And it includes all three. Told you I'd get into your business. Because now you and I are like, oh man, what do I got and what do I not have? And what percentages? Some of you are nerds like that. Like, I don't know. But this is what Jesus has called us to, is a life including all three, not perfectly. But if you want to know right now, why do I lack joy, David? I love Jesus. I had a day I surrendered my life to Jesus. Why? Then I would tell you there's perhaps a deficit going on in one, if not more. And you know what we have a tendency to isolate and prioritize? Is the knowing one. And we know what we need to know. And we're like, and it's not working. <laughs> if you concentrate solely on knowing, you know what happens to you? You become arrogant. Not that anyone's ever met anyone that's arrogant, but you know the folks that know all of the information? Typically a character trait becomes of them is arrogance because they think that knowledge is primary, yet in their own lives they, they can't prove it because arrogance often lends itself to hypocrisy. And the people now that oftentimes will say, I don't need other people to follow Jesus Christ, I just know the information and it's in my heart. Jesus, I think, would challenge that and say, but what about when someone says, I want this from you, and he challenges us, give him that and even more. I'm telling you, this is challenging stuff, if for your pastor at least, to look at my days, my every single days, my interactions with you and others and, and with God and saying, where is my deficit today? Because it changes. So here's an observation about this. Trying to have joy without depth is the reason so many Christians lack joy. We, we want the joy. Who doesn't want joy? If you don't want joy, I don't get you. <laughs> right? I mean, like, most of us want what the Holy Spirit is trying to deliver. But the work behind it is what many Christians have forgotten. In fact, if there was a soapbox up here, picture me, I just stepped on it. Let me show you something that happened with no be do over the course of the pandemic. This is not, I guess I have to give this disclaimer, this is not a political rant of any sort. I just want to show you, I am in many conversations with pastors all over the nation, and we are seeing very similar things go on in all of our churches and all of our communities. So I'm just gonna tell you what I've been told and what I have observed and you, you decide if you agree with it or not. There's this thing called the pandemic that did that. For whatever case, for however, wherever you, however you did with this, you probably started doing less. 
with your faith. Physically, you, you, let's say you volunteered, maybe, maybe you helped teach kids in the kids' ministry, or, or maybe you, you helped serve somewhere in town or around the area, and just the doing, we have to admit, either went to zero, depending upon where you lived, or went way down. And we just, what, what we could do with our faith, in fact, what was encouraged and discouraged, began to say, you know, don't, don't, don't do that right now. Well, then what happens if you stop doing? You, it makes it really difficult to be, especially in the sense of a pandemic. Uh, is it not difficult to be with others if you're told don't be with others? If you feel like you might be a danger to others? Again, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just, I'm, I'm right now the guy just doing some uh, sociological observations right now, just showing you what's been happening and what's been playing out and how it connects to spiritual depth, which then led the Christian world for the most part into this world of being able to know. In other words, you could gather information and you could share your information. And welcome to a brand new generation that thinks that that's enough. In fact, not only is it not enough, um, it's now become a deterrent. Because I'm not looking at anyone, I'm just saying not everyone managed this well on social media. <laughs> and now, most of the time on the internet, and a lot of times in our conversations at work, and our conversations occasionally with our friends, it's more about what do you know? Let me tell you what I know. And then as a society right now, if you don't know what's happening, we're realigning ourselves based on what you know and what you believe about it. And you need to know this is new. Because there was an era where the church said, we have to continually figure out a way to do all three. And we've begun to settle. I wonder uh, if your lack of joy could be boiled down to you've determined to settle. And I get the privilege of calling you out on it. Here, our mistake is not a desire for good. I think we desire good. I don't, I think, I just think that about people. It's settling for something less than God. And many of us are settling for less than God. So here's what we gotta do. We gotta know, and we gotta be, and we gotta do. If you do that, I'm gonna tell you just right down here, you'll find joy down there. Because no circumstance will be able to take it from you. Because it won't just be about what's up here in your head, it won't just be about your feelings and your heart, and it won't just be about what you're doing. You'll have what's called spiritual strength and fortitude that no matter what you face, you will say, yeah, that stinks. You, I'm, you could spend days crying about it, and that's way okay. You can grieve, you can mourn, you can have sorrow. You can have sorrow and joy. But you've got to examine where the current deficit is in your life right now. While you process that, <laughs> let me show you what Romans teaches us. For we don't live for ourselves, 
or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord both of the living and the dead. And so you and I face a grand challenge this Christmas. We have songs that literally say we have joy. And we will sing them. What are you going to do about that? <laughs> Let me just say this. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect in order to sing songs about joy. It doesn't mean that you actually even have to feel it in the moment. But you got to recognize that joy is real. And according to Jesus, he shows up and says, I know the way to the new age. He even said he was the only way. So, I have a few minutes left. What's he gonna do? <laughs> I wanted to save some time to talk to you about right now. In reference to joy, yes, but very specifically about the gospel. God isn't done with this world. If you're like me, you've had days where I'm like, I think you're done with it. I, I don't know that it's time. Anyone else? But based on theology, based on my study of Scripture, if you and I are still here and Jesus hasn't come back yet, Jesus still thinks there's more to do. That means God's not done with you. He's not done with the person you live next to. Shoot, he's not even done with the people you hate. Amen. Let's go back to those shepherds. After seeing them, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. After seeing them, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. I think this is a challenge for you and I this Christmas season. So if you're not a part of our church and you're just maybe viewing online, TV, or whatever, or maybe you are, listen, God wants to use you to deliver joy, and I need you to hear that. God wants to use you, you specifically, to deliver joy wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, whoever you are, however much you know about the Bible, however much you know about Jesus. He has plans right now just based on history because here's what I'm gonna tell you. He hasn't come back yet, so he's not done, so he intends to use you and I to deliver joy, whether you and I like the uh, responsibility or not. So what should the Christmas story do to you regarding joy? How do you actually begin to walk this spiritual depth? What do you do with it? Because many times we'll be like, well, I'll enjoy it, and I'll cherish it, and I'll enjoy family or friends, or, or I'll just you know, have the feels. Here's what Christmas calls us out to, because Jesus shows up. We're supposed to. This is what's supposed to happen. We go from an inward group of people to becoming this outward-focused kind of people to where the joy isn't just something for you and I to actually get and say, I want it. Hey, the angels promised it, that this good news, this great mega awesome news is gonna bring us great joy, yes! 
The shepherds didn't just say, we got the news. We're not telling anybody. You know that? Shepherds could have been like, let's, let's keep us quiet. People would think we're going crazy. But they go, they go verify the news by going to look for Jesus. <laughs> and then they tell people. I think that ought to be your challenge and my challenge. And I think you and I will begin to discover the joy that we once felt at some moment, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that might have dissipated a little. So let me give you practical. Invite, give, serve. This is the depth stuff to this. And this isn't just like invite people to Christmas services. You should. And I promise you, we're going to tell whoever you invite, including yourself, all about Jesus. But what about just inviting someone around you into your life? Saying you want to grab coffee? You want to go have dinner? You want to just talk? And what if that becomes the, the, the delivery vehicle of joy? And then, of course, give to them. We have the shine offering as a church, but you have other opportunities all around you where you will find opportunities to give to another person to actually begin to disperse a sense of joy in your own heart. It's a big deal. And serve like you've never served before. And that is what a deployed church looks like. Where you and I aren't just saying, I got some joy, or we're faking it going, I don't feel the joy. It's where we live this out. So, these are your marching orders. Don't just eat the good food. Don't just open up a present or two. Don't just watch your favorite Christmas movie. Don't just, listen, don't just hug someone. Figure out a way to bring the good news about Jesus who became the access point to the new age where God invites us into paradise. Be the kind of person that makes that available to somebody. So here's what I'm gonna do. I just wanna pray for what God's gonna do this week. From my vantage point, there are some significant times in the year. One is your birthday, of course. But the birthday of Jesus, we have to admit, is one of the most significant times of the entire year. And we as a church are planning to watch God move. And so I just want to spend just a minute and invite him to use us, to use you, to use me, however he wants. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I can't can't even fathom what it was like to show up into this world and have people not accept, to wrestle with it, God, even to this day, many struggle with who you are and what you're all about. And so, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that this Christmas week would be a week where there are many who are far from you, who are searching for you, who might have even rejected you, run from you, abandoned you, or or just longing to meet you.
God, would you find them this week? We ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would use this church specifically to spread your good news, to be like the shepherds where we tell anyone and everyone who will listen. Lord, I pray that you would bring favor on any and every group of Christians all over this world who plan to do the same, to spread the gospel. God, would you anoint them? Would you anoint us? And Lord, would after Christmas, the entire world be different because people met you. So Lord, we invite you into this season, if we haven't already. Lord, do your will for your glory. Amen.